Managing type 1 diabetes can be difficult and challenging. Today, a management revolution is underway that can help us all live happier and healthier lives. I'm Cliff Sherb, founder of Glucose Advisors. I will be sitting down with expert guests exploring topics in the advancements of the science of diabetes management, their personal type 1 diabetes stories, and details of the latest methods to help take control of T1D. We hope these stories inspire you to take control of your diabetes, health, and well-being, learning more about the advancements that exist to live a better life. For more episodes, visit our community at glucoseadvisors.com, learn from our team of advisors, and find out more about space available in our management programs. So welcome, Lauren Dolan, to the Advisors Podcast. Thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks so much, Cliff. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, I am uh, really excited to ask you a whole bunch of different questions. Uh, First, I want to give our audience a little bit of background on who you are. So Lauren is Glucose Advisors resident technology guru, and Lauren is currently working on her doctorate in information systems. She's also an endurance athlete, and Lauren believes that technology can empower diabetics to live life to the fullest. Now, her work experience, she's a research analyst for Center for Education Policy Research at Harvard University, and she's a doctoral student at the Robert H. Smith School of Business in the University of Maryland. Uh, Lauren also has a personal and professional passion for diabetes and technology, and she uses both the open source app Loop and the Omnipod Insulin Pump, as well as the Tandem T-Slim X2. Um, As part of her doctoral research, she has projects related to how to make diabetes apps and devices more personalized. And when she's not swimming, biking, or running uh, on her or working on her research, she also likes to translate tech speak on diabetes devices into articles for non-techies. So welcome, Lauren. Uh, thrilled to have you here. And um, uh, I'll start us off with uh, a question. And that is, if you could teleport anywhere in the world right now, where would you go? Uh, well, I'd have to say beautiful Lake Placid, New York, one of the big homes of Ironman um, and a great place to swim, bike, or run. And also add that COVID has given me such a great appreciation of the natural world and all of the beauty that's within driving distance. <laughs> <laughs> We're certainly getting to know intimately our geographies around us, right? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I would echo that I love that area too, and I've spent uh, about almost 15 summers up there continuously until last year, uh, visiting Lake Placid for the Ironman. So uh, if you get a chance to be in that neck of the world, it is amazing. So uh, yeah, that's a cool place to teleport. I I like that answer a lot. So uh, Lauren, uh, you're an absolute talent. I am excited to have you on the podcast, excited to have you as one of our advisors and helping our our, uh, scholars learn um, through our program. And so why don't you just tell us a little bit um, more about um, you as a person and you as a diabetes uh, advisor. Sure. Um, Me as a person, I would say that I am um, very, very intellectually curious. And I think that's something that will come up throughout this interview. I just really want to know 
what's happening, why things are happening, how can I connect like these various areas of life that seem totally unrelated because I'm just convinced that it's all um, working together and we're all trying to figure out how to make diabetes best work within our very complex lives. Um, and I think that's something that's really become clear to me throughout um, the time since I was diagnosed. I was only diagnosed four years ago. Um, but since then, I think I've uh, dove pretty deep in and tried to learn as much as I can and share as much as I can with others. Yeah, you, you definitely have jumped in with both feet, uh, taking on Ironman challenges, setting the second fastest ever uh, Ironman uh, for a female at the distance. Uh, and for those who don't know what an Ironman triathlon is, it's a 2.4 mile swim, 112 mile bike ride, followed by a marathon run. And uh, Lauren has, you know, really, since the first day I met her, been super curious, a sponge just soaking up stuff. Uh, have you always been that way in your, in your life? I think my whole life I've been that sponge, but it's also really important for me to tell people that I wasn't always super athletic. In fact, I think it really took diabetes for me to learn about my body and explore and uh, do things, you know, that I never thought was possible. Um, before diabetes, like I was fairly active, like I started doing uh, master swimming and CrossFit. So I wasn't a couch potato, but it's nothing like I was now. And I just, I really got this passion for it once I started to learn more about my body and try to become more in touch with that side of myself. And that's something I would like to help other people do as well. So is it, it I'd say, it's fair to say that you've explored your diabetes in learning and education vis-a-vis uh, -vis activity, right? I mean, you, you're finding you know, the, the food and the inputs and the outputs from activity and putting those together to say, okay, how does this whole Rubik's cube get solved? And I think that's you know, the way I found uh, diabetes management um, myself um, throughout the years. But you know, you certainly have learned faster than anybody I've ever seen. Uh, and, you know, four years, uh, you know, you have a lifetime of wealth of experience. And for those of you who have interacted with Lauren uh, on our app and in our community, you, you would know uh, Lauren is a sharp, sharp like a tack. So uh, that's <laughs> exactly why I brought her on. I don't know about sharp like a tack, but just wanting to know. I want to know everything and I want to share it with other people too. Yeah, that's fair. Now, I, I will say another thing, you know, you have a love for technology. Uh, I do too, but you might even have more of a love for technology. So, you know, nerds rule in technology. I mean, tell me <laughs> about this. Tell me. Yeah, I'm definitely a technology nerd, um, though I will say for me, a lot of it has been about the struggle with the mind-body connection. So, like my dad, he once told me that there are two types of people in the world, people who experience the world through their bodies and people who experience the world through their minds. And I can definitely say that before I got diabetes, I was like 100% in the mind. Like I enjoyed working out, but you know, the mind was where I, how I was experiencing the world, how I was coping and dealing with things. And what I've really noticed 
talking to other diabetics is that there's a very large group of type one diabetics who have a very body centered, intuitive approach to diabetes. And it took me like a long time to sort of understand that and um, respect it, to be honest, because there we all know those very successful diabetics who've been managing very intuitively, um, sort of without a lot of like deep thought thinking analysis like I do, um, and doing very well. So I always want to tell people, you know, you don't have to be that tech-centered person to be successful. Um, that said, you know, I was that person who first accessed all this through my mind. And I can say that the insights that you can get from technology and really diving into your numbers and getting that complete picture and understanding is just so exciting and so, so helpful for navigating um, daily life and really making your life easier. Yeah, you, you're definitely uh, studious and uh, have really put things together in a way that I think a lot of others haven't in a, such a quick amount of time. And I think that, yeah, there are people who clearly are successful with type one and having uh, fantastic results and time and range, and they're using the tech to their greatest advantage. And there's the other side, right? That's a little bit more hands-off, but you know, their approach works for them too. Uh, and the gut instinct is really uh, important. And I think that uh, we, we know that there's some limitations to the healthcare system in the way that we're able to dose in real time. And we're, we're all helping each other here in real time, learning the methods. So uh, it's, it's amazing what you've been able to accomplish and do um, in such a short amount of time. So I think what I want to ask is, well, our audience loves to hear what the best, uh, you know, the best is in management. What would you want to share as your, your top pearls, Lauren's pearls for uh, diabetes management uh, as we move forward uh, into 2021 here? Sure. Yeah, I think, you know, my biggest diabetes lesson has been that diabetes is something that's always changing. And I think where people get stuck is they think in particular that insulin sensitivity is a fixed thing, or maybe it's just a thing that we fix every few months when we go to visit our doctor. Um, and I think there's this idea that, you know, if you just, maybe if you ate the same thing every single day and you did the exact same thing every day, maybe your insulin sensitivity would be the same. Most people don't live like that, but even the people with those very, very fixed regimes still get uh, periods where they see changes in their insulin sensitivity. So I try to think about my diabetes as being on a big map. And at any one time, any point in the day and in within my life, I'm thinking about where am I on the map? So I'll just sort of break it down into three main ways to help you figure out what your location is here on this map. We call it Lauren GPS. <laughs> yeah, Lauren GPS. And I will say also that these are all insights that I've gotten from using the SHERB method and working um, through glucose advisors and which with Cliff as my coach as well. Um, so the first way that I sort of started thinking about this though was wondering about how am I different from other people with type 1 diabetes? 
And one way you can even think about that is how is diabetes changing throughout the life cycle of a person? So I think a lot of people know this, but just to really make it clear, children and very elderly people, they need the least insulin. Mm -hmm. And then teens generally need the most because of their growth hormones. And then adults are somewhere in between like teen and very old. So even just looking at age, we see big differences. Looking at weight, we see big differences. And then also you need to think about where are you from your day of diagnosis and what was your diagnosis like? Um, so a lot of people know about the honeymoon period, which is where your body is still producing a small amount of insulin. So generally the highs and lows like aren't quite so bad. So the farther away you move from that, you might see more changes um, to your management. And then kind of interesting to think about, um, even across like the whole population of people, some people are able to maintain a very, very, very tiny amount of insulin production throughout their whole life. And they found that those people tend to have the least complications. So as I'm talking with other people, I'm always kind of aware that, you know, my diabetes is a little bit different than your diabetes. And we need to try to understand what some of those differences are and think about how you're different from me and where are you on the map that includes your whole lifespan. Nice. So that's kind of one way. I don't know, do you wanna add anything that's, to that? No, that's awesome. Um, I would just add that I'd like to go back to the honeymoon phase. <laughs> <laughs> that's well, you know, you say Great. that though also having um, helped a lot of uh, like people, especially in their 20s navigate that, it can be very challenging um, because one day you wake up and you're like extremely sensitive to insulin, you might need like zero basal insulin. And then the next day you wake up and you're all over the place. So there are challenges to the honeymoon phase as well, but yeah. I agree, it, it is definitely a little bit easier on average. Right. I think that's one of the things we try to, to normalize for folks when they come to glucose advisors is to say, okay, every day, day doesn't have to be like Groundhog Day. Like, let's figure out what works for your lifestyle and put a system in place that allows you to, you know, have some variability. Uh, you know, it's, it's not uh, so straightforward, but um, no, I agree. And that and I'd like to go to, back to the honeymoon phase. <laughs> Sure, sure. So the next two things that I'm thinking about in terms of my location on this map uh, have to do with how does today differ from any other day? So the first kind of couple factors are related to stress. And I know we hear all the time about stress and how much it impacts us, but like I really just can't understate how much stress can impact insulin sensitivity. And one of the other big pieces of that is how much sleep you're getting on a given night. And I actually would challenge any of our listeners to track their night's sleep and their blood glucose fluctuations. And I guarantee you, you will see big differences, especially if you're not adjusting for that in your management. For me, I've actually, Frequently, if I know that I haven't gotten a good night's sleep, I'll just automatically up up my insulin and up my rates because I know that it has such a big effect on me. 
So yeah, I can I can definitely see it in the workouts too. I will ping Lauren uh, on, <laughs> on her workouts uh, and tell her, hey, <laughs> did you get enough sleep last night? How, how many hours was it? <laughs> yeah. Well, now I, I so I have a lot of technology, and I'm wearing two watches right now. One is a Whoop strap that really tracks your sleep very intensively, as well as your recovery and your heart rate variability. So I'm looking at a huge stream of data related to stress and recovery, and I can really see all of those things. And Cliff, as my coach, can also see all of those things, which has been kind of fun. I think there's only a, one other person that wears two watches in this world uh, besides me. That that's you, Lauren, and I think it's uh, what's his name? Bander Tony Banderas, is it? Uh, the, the Does he? Yeah, I think he wears two watches. I've seen him all the time, but I don't think that they're uh, very tech savvy watches. They're 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 clearly uh, more for fashion than they are for um, utility. Um, but yeah, anyway, I I totally took you off track there. Go go ahead. Yeah. No worries. Uh, so kind of the last piece or big piece, I think of our location, uh, life cycle, uh, stress, and then activity level and how you're fueling for that activity. So obviously we know if we are more active, um, then our insulin sensitivity tends to increase. And with our methods here, um, at the Glucose Advisors University, we provide a pretty detailed way of handling um, that activity. So we're thinking about that activity. And then also, are we putting enough carbs back into our system um, to fuel that activity? And Cliff, you've really honed in on the gas in the tank analogy for that. I don't know. Do you want to be the one to go into it? Oh, uh well, in a nutshell, for those who are listening and, and, and have not taken our program, uh, your sensitivity can be dictated by a lot of different factors. But one in particular is how your muscles are topped off with glycogen. So if you're uh, well-fed and you have a lot of carbohydrates in your diet in general, then on a regular basis, your, your, uh, your sensitivity is going to be diminished. And so if you're under fueling or you're not eating a lot of carbohydrate in particular, then you'll find that your, your actual sensitivity is higher and your insulin need actually gets suppressed a bit. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. And you can kind of, what's a, sort of an interesting study that I saw related to this. This is like one of the first studies that I read uh, about diabetes. Cause when I was diagnosed, as I said, being an intellectually curious person, I just wanted to know everything. And, you know, one of the things I wanted to know was how do you prevent hypoglycemia after exercise? So they did this study where they took kids, they gave them extra activity, extra recess during the school day, and then they actually fed them a huge pasta meal at night. This was the study. And what that really was is they were just refueling the gas in the tank because it wasn't related to like, it's not like they were eating the pasta meal and like their blood sugar was high all night. And that's like why they weren't getting it. They were very closely regulating their blood sugar, but they had refueled those kids' muscles. So they weren't just soaking it all back up overnight. And that reduced um, the nighttime hypoglycemia. Yeah. So it was really fun for me to have the SHERB method really codify this information and I immediately jumped back to, oh my gosh, my pasta study. It makes so much sense now. I think, I think you're describing my childhood pasta at every uh, every meal before bed. 
<laughs> so, as we all know, there's tons of other things that can affect blood sugar. Um, but I, for me, those are the big ones. I don't know. Do you want to add any, Cliff? Yeah, there's so many different management tips. I mean, you, you touched on a whole bunch of different great things there. I, I think that, you know, the, the different uh, discussion of nutrition is, is a huge part of it, right? Uh, proteins, fats, carbohydrates, the timing of them, the various amounts. And I think we have a lot of different diets out there these days that we pluck from on the internet and we say, hey, let's try this, let's try that. At the end of the day, it's still inputs, outputs. And, you know, what is your total daily dose looking like? And uh, we try to help people navigate, you know, not dictate what that nutrition regimen actually is. So I, you know, I, I'm, I have a lot of different favorite foods that I like, Lauren. I'm curious, what, what is your favorite food to eat as a T1D? <laughs> well, this is kind of a weird one. So I, you know, I'm trying to both increase my athletic performance and reduce like my insulin or my variability in my insulin sensitivity as much as I can. So I eat a pretty high carb, low fat diet. And one of the things that I really struggled with taking on this approach is that I do love dairy so much and that dairy tends to be very high fat. Hence why pizza is kind of the beloved and hated food of all uh, diabetics. But I found a really, really good swap for the high fat dairy that I used to like. And I love uh, low fat ricotta cheese. Huh. And I eat that both as like a sweet and a savory version. I like it with uh, fruit and chocolate chips or applesauce uh, is like a dessert kind of a thing. And then I'll also use it um, as a lower fat alternative, like uh, on a pizza or in like, like a grain bowl or salad. And I just, I eat so much low fat ricotta cheese. It's wow. like kind of ridiculous. <laughs> great, it has a lot of flavor in that. and. I think that you should put together a couple of your favorite recipes for us and, and post them on our community. I think that would be <laughs> awesome. I, we're, all, we're all foodies over here at Glucose Advisors. We, we tend to talk a lot about food and management. So at, at Ricotta, got it. Yep. Yeah. Now, Lauren, uh, we have a question from our community uh, that I think you know you would help us out with here a little bit. Uh, this past year has been kind of wacky with uh, COVID-19 and be, everyone being, you know, on lockdown. Uh, what have you found with uh, people that you've been talking to in the diabetes world about burnout? And how do you suggest maybe people overcome that a bit? Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Like at first, when I was thinking about burnout, you know, I was trying to help people be as safe as possible and reduce, um, their technology use, because I think that the technology, always looking at the CGM, always looking at the pump, like it's viewing all this data, it can definitely cause burnout. But I think rather than say, taking a holiday and going back on shots or like not using your CGM, before you get to that step, a better approach is to try to change how you're manipulating the alarms and the amount of data that you're getting to try to reduce the load overall. And one of the things that I'm looking at in my research is that how you do this, like what works best for you is very individual and something that you have to experiment with. And there's really two ways you can 
you can do it and still rate maintain like fairly good um, control and like understanding of your diabetes numbers if you're using a CGM. So the one thing you can do is if you, you can experiment and set your alarm ranges very wide. So don't get as many alerts for low blood sugar and high blood sugar, set that range really high, but still have the, the data readily available on a watch. Um, always view that's the stream of data coming in, or you can just tell yourself, I'm going to look at my device, you know, on the hour or something. So you're still keeping track of it, but you're not getting the alarms because for the, some people, the alarms are like just very mentally disturbing <laughs> and yeah. you want to break from that. <laughs> on the other side, there are other people who find the stream of data to be the most difficult thing to deal with. And I actually am kind of in that camp. I've had times where I've switched off um, having it available on my watch. I've made more of an effort to take a break. And if you want more of a break from the data, then a good solution is actually to put the alarms on. Because if you have the alarms in like a relatively good range, then you still know when you're going to go higher, when you're go going to go low. So I think experimenting with those two approaches to the alarms um, like can be really, really helpful for burnout, particularly yeah. from CGM. And then an like another thing totally unrelated to the technology is just learning to view your diabetes numbers purely as pieces of data and without judgment. So whenever you find yourself saying this is a good day or a bad day of blood sugar, this is a good blood sugar reading, a bad blood sugar reading, you wanna to try to take those emotionally charged words like good and bad out of your vocabulary as much as possible. And think about, you know, if I was viewing this from the perspective of a friend or from the perspective of my doctor, like how would I, how would I see this? So try to depersonalize that those numbers and your diabetes management like, as, solid. as much as possible. That's solid. I, I like that advice a lot. Yeah. I mean, not, not projecting our feelings onto a number, right. Or letting them influence us that, that directly. I think that's super sound advice. And it reminds me too of the alarms and, and how much, you know, you're, you're bombarded by your devices. Uh, our whole goal is to, to teach and help uh, people adjust their doses so that they can you know, pursue the life that they want. And at the end of the day, uh, after they're, they're done learning from us and working with us, the goal is to have you think about it less often. And I think that, uh, you know, those devices are they're there to help us. They're the guardrails. Uh, but I, I do know that like things like sleep at night is really important. And, uh, you know, my devices, I try to silence them as best I can, because I know that if I wake up my wife, we both are grumpy in the morning, and that's not very good for either of us to start our day. So I think that uh, a lot of the manufacturers for these pump companies, too, are clearly aware that, you know, there's, there's a lot of uh, things they can do to, to make it better for us. But I like that advice is spot on. Yeah. So uh, we have one more question coming in from our community here that says, uh, what, what blood sugar is too high to uh, be active? So uh, that's an interesting question to, to tackle and a, a tricky one. Yeah, I think it's very tricky. I will say personally, I have, 
I have gone out to exercise with some pretty high blood sugars um, because it does happen. But I, I think, oh, and I guess the other thing to keep in mind that this is one area where your diabetes might be different from my diabetes. The reason being what we were talking about before that some people still have a small amount of insulin that they're producing. So if they have a high blood sugar, they're not going to develop ketones. Um, it's like the real danger of a high, high blood sugar and working out is that you could actually go into DKA and that would be very dangerous. So that's why the official recommendation for exercise, I believe is fairly low, like somewhere in the low 200s, you're not supposed to go out 180, you know, that's the official 180 and above. That's the official definition of high, like you're supposed to be very cautious. Um, so that said, I think in terms of gauging, you know, you have a blood high blood sugar, you want to go out. There's a few questions you can ask yourself that will help determine whether you should still go. Um, one is first, am I well enough to go? I mean, <laughs> I think we often kind of discount that. I mean, if you're not feeling well, like you probably should table it, hopefully for some time later in the day. Then, you know, one thing we're seeing a lot with, you know, now having um, automated insulin delivery, either via loop or the tandem pump or some of the Medtronic pumps is how much IOB do you have? Because if your pump has been automatically dosing for you and your blood sugar is very high, you could have a ton of insulin on board and you might just start work at, working out and just plummet. So in that case, I would advise you just to go for a walk or do something light um, and return to it later. So definitely look at your IOB. And then finally, how long have you been high for? And that's important for kind of two reasons. One, because if you've been high for a long time, odds are you will develop those ketones, which are more dangerous. But second, you don't wanna be caught in sort of an emergency situation outside of your house, especially exercising where, you know, you're actually high because your insulin pump site failed. Um, and I've been in some kind of <laughs> sticky situations like that. So definitely try to evaluate, you know, how long has this been going on? And am I prepared for why I might be high? And, you know, can I take care of it? Um, so I think be, being prepared, I guess, is the, the main crux of this. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that gives us a lot of different checkpoints to, to think about it. Yeah. That's a good way to frame it. Yeah. Well, Lauren, um, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for talking with me. Uh, is there anything else you want to share with the community? Uh, I do have one last question for you, but before I uh, kind of get to that, any anything you want to share with the community? Uh, not really, other than just to say that I hope that, you know, we are doing this as much as we can to make the technology approachable for everyone, you know, regardless of your style of management. Um, that's something we really take a lot of pride in over at Glucose Advisors. And I think if you have feedback on that, we'd really like to hear it. I've really been on such a journey trying to help other people over the last few years and learning about, you know, what are the not the right and wrong things, but the best things to say to certain types of people to help them sort of where they're at in their journey. Yeah, that's that's very well said. Now, uh, what are you most excited about 
uh, let's say in the next five and even 10 years time when it comes to diabetes? Well, I think I'm most excited to see the technology take, assuming there's no cure, to take a lot of the burden off of us with automated insulin delivery. And I'm also excited about this personalization piece because my hope is, you know, one day there might be some kind of questionnaire that you can take that will help us determine how we can set your alarms so that the technology is not a source of stress, that it's only making your life better. Um, and that's, you know, I think one of the big paradoxes of diabetes is seeing just how the technology can have such a positive and a negative effect at times. Yeah, I, I agree. I think we're in this phase right now where the technology is, is getting more advanced and we're seeing these uh, advanced algorithms for closed loops and things like that, but we still have much of the type one community uh, with a basic educational need that's lacking and Maura and I are talking a lot about nutrition. We're talking a lot about being active. And those two don't really uh, get put together very well when it comes to management. So uh, if you guys have any questions out there and you're looking to uh, find a resource, uh, please reach out to Lauren. Uh, she is an amazing, amazing uh, advisor. And uh, if you go to glucoseadvisors.com, you can contact her uh, through our community there. Uh, and uh, what's your Instagram handle for others to follow you too? I am at try T1D Tech. Awesome. Awesome. So uh, uh, Lauren, thank you again so, so much for being here on the uh, call and on the podcast. And uh, I will be seeing you uh, in our upcoming meetings uh, with all of our uh, scholars. All right. Great. Thanks so much, Cliff. Thanks for listening to the Glucose Advisors podcast. For more episodes, visit our community at glucoseadvisors.com. Learn from our team of advisors and find out more about space available in our programs. Head on over to Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you find your podcast to rate, subscribe, or leave a review. Until next time, take control, stay inspired, and live a better life with T1D.